0: It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey.
1: The enemy is very wise and very crafty in infiltrating even the music industry. Pastor, you tell me that I can't listen to secular music, I'm saying you need to pray about it and you just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. But I am saying you guys got to be a lot more discerning in what you're putting in your
0: brain and your spirit. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad.
1: Hey, let's go back to the book of Revelation. We've been in it for the last couple of months. We're now at Revelation 14. And as I was reading over this this past week, Lord kind of took me in a direction I wasn't planning. I was reading Revelation 14. Turn there if you would and look at verses one through three. Revelation 14, one through three says this. Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps." Now, look at verse three. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. And I got to thinking about that. This is kind of interesting. I'm starting to hear over and over and over again in the book of Revelation, people singing songs. And then I went over to Revelation 15, the next chapter, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw another sign in the heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Here goes again. Look at this. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the lamb. And it got got me to thinking how many songs are there in the book of Revelation? And I, I read some scholars. Scholars say this. Now, now watch. Greek scholars can kind of look at the rhythm and the structure of the Greek, and they have surmised there are 27 songs in the book of Revelation. One, some of them say 28. There's one that's kind of in doubt. But 27 or 28 songs in the entire book of Revelation, that's more than one song per chapter. In fact, one scholar says that Revelation is, quote, the Bible's Broadway musical. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not into musicals, and I'm not into opera. If you're going to die, die. Don't sing and bleed for 20 minutes, okay? But, <laughs> but that's what they call it, the Bible's musical. Now, who sings these songs in the book of Revelation? Some, it's angelic beings singing these songs. But more often than not, it's people who've been battling Satan, and they're victorious. It's people who had all hell thrown at them, and they stand strong, and when they're victorious, they sing to the Lord. Now, if that's the case, watch this. Music, worship, singing is spiritual warfare. In fact, I love what Ray Pritchard says. Pastor Pritchard says, music is a weapon of spiritual warfare and the devil hates it when we sing. He hates our music because our singing rouses our souls, gives us courage, lifts our hearts, restores our faith, builds our confidence, unites our voices, and lifts up the name of the Lord like a mighty banner. Music is not just preparation for warfare. Listen to this, music is spiritual warfare. And when God's people sing together, we invade the devil's territory. Now, there is an evil side to this kind of spiritual warfare. There is an evil side to music, and there is a godly side to music. Let's talk about the evil side for just a second. The Bible seems to indicate, and I going to show you some passages here in just a second. The Bible seems to indicate that Satan, before he fell, you understood he was a high-ranking spiritual being in heaven. Y'all knew that, right? Before he fell... Evidently, he was over music in heaven. Satan was the, (laughs) he was the Aaron and Ron of heaven, okay? And he got proud, and he got cocky, and God cast him out of heaven. Now, where do you see that in scripture? I want you to look at two passages here. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, in Isaiah 14, turn there if you would. Isaiah 14 is addressed to a human being named the king of Babylon. But God can't be talking to a human being. You're going to see in just a second, the description of this individual is bigger than a human being. It's almost as if God is pulling back the curtains and he's going past the human and he's talking to the spiritual entity behind this human being. And he says in verse 11, your pot is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Now that shining one, the morning star, in Hebrew, it's Hillel ben Shekhar. When Jerome was translating the Hebrew Old Testament into the Latin Vulgate, he decided to take that Hebrew term, Hillel ben Shekar, and make it a a proper name. And the proper uh, interpretation is Lucifer. So up until that time, the name Lucifer wasn't thrown around. It was uh, Hillel ben Shekar. Jerome calls him Lucifer, and the name kind of stuck. Morning star technically is referring to Venus, a star that is bright for a while and then fades away, almost as if God said, you had glory at one time, and now that glory has gone. But verse 11 talks about the spiritual being, this high-powered entity having stringed instruments. In other words, Lucifer, at one time in the past, you were over some type of music program. There's another passage, Ezekiel 28. In Ezekiel 28 verses one through 10, okay, God is is addressing this to a human being called the prince of a city called Tyre, T-Y-R-E. Verses one through 10, he says, I'm talking to the prince of Tyre. And then in verse 11, God shifts gears, talking to the same person, but he calls him the king of Tyre, same person. Verses one through 10, as you'll see, God is talking to the human being who oversees this wicked city. And then he shifts gears and he says, but let me not just talk to the the human. Let me talk to Satan, who is operating this human being. And in verse 11, he says this, you know, wait, Jesus did the same thing. Y'all remember this? Remember how Peter says to Jesus, you ain't going to be crucified. I forbid you to go to the cross. I'm not going to let you die. Remember what Jesus says to, to Peter, get behind me, what? Satan, at that moment, he pulled back the curtains, and he says, I'm no longer talking to Satan. I'm now talking to the, the spiritual entity who is speaking through Satan, and that's really what's happening here. Verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection. Are human beings perfect? No. No. He can't be talking to a human being. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. You were in Eden. Hey, the garden of Eden was several thousand years before this, he's not talking to a human being. Adam and Eve were in the garden, but who else was in the garden? Satan. Uh, The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels, underline that word, and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. It's kind of interesting. Cherubs are high-ranking angelic beings who oversee the worship of God. And God says, if this is Satan, he's saying to Satan, at one time you were a cherub, singular. Singular. Cherubs are incredibly beautiful. After this, you never see a singular cherub. It's always cherubim, two cherubs. Almost as if God said, you thought you were the best, the greatest, the most beautiful. Now I'm going to make sure there's two of you to understand that there's always somebody who's just as beautiful as you are, Satan, because your pride brought you down. You are the anointed cherub who covers, I establish you. You're on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You see, this this is Satan that he's talking to. And then he says something very interesting there in verse 13. He talks about Lucifer's timbrels. Do you see that? And pipes. What's a timbrel? A timbrel is a percussion instrument. When uh, Miriam, Moses' sister in the Old Testament, worshiped God, she had a tambourine or a timbrel. So this is a musical instrument. Pipes, since it's paired with a musical instrument, we, we believe it's a musical instrument as well. It's a little bit harder to, uh, to translate, but it probably means a woodwind instrument. So here's what he said. He's saying to Satan, When you were in heaven, when you were here in my throne room, you directed the worship of me in heaven. You were over the music. Implication, Satan is a master musician and he understands the power of music. You have no idea the power of that music that you're listening every day. Satan understands that, you don't. And uh, I'm going to give you three examples of the dark side of the power of Satan when it comes to music, because y'all believe that music is spiritual warfare? Y'all believe that? All right. Well, then there's a dark side to that. Let me give you three examples. And I want to use an African-American, a a white person, and a Latino, because I'm an equal opportunity offender. I want to offend everybody, okay? (laughs) Little Nas X is very popular. And he's openly satanic. He created a line of Nike shoes with an upside down cross, a pentagram, and human blood, and they sold out immediately. In one of his most popular videos, it shows, here's what it says in my notes here. It shows him giving a lap dance to Stan. It should be Satan, not Stan. It's in one of his videos, it shows little Nas X giving a lap dance to Satan. He's been very open about his satanic beliefs. And yet some of y'all have said, it's just a ploy to sell records. He's really not satanic. Yes, he's satanic. Well, how much obvious does Satan have to be for y'all to finally get it? Well, he do- and yet it was interesting. NPR did a, um, a, a very positive story on Little Nas X recently. It says he's written children's books. He targets children. NPR says, quote, reaching kids on their level has been a part of Little Nas X's public persona. And that is Lucifer, that is Satan, the master of musician. He has now planted one of his among us. Back in the 90s, remember Nirvana and Kurt Cobain? And I I would listen to stuff and it's kind of interesting. Kurt Cobain, according to Christopher Sanford's biography, did say it was his goal in life to, quote, get stoned and worship Satan. It is said that he was fixated with the founder of the church of Satan's Anton LaVey. He did use to spray paint on churches, quote, God is gay and abort Christ. Real pastor. He's not satanic. Yes, he is satanic. In fact, I watched one of his videos this past week. It's a blasphemous video. And in this video, Jesus Christ is portrayed as a decrepit old man with a Santa Claus hat being crucified on the cross. And that is the enemy, Lucifer, understanding the power of music to infiltrate our culture. Carlos Santana has admitted that he channels a spirit to make his music. He even has a name for this spirit. The spirit's name is Metatron. I think it was Rolling Stone magazine, I think, that printed this, quote, Metatron is an angel. Santana has been in regular contact with him since 1994. Carlos will sit there facing the wall with candles lit. He has a yellow legal pad at one side ready for the communication that will come. It's kind of like a fax machine from a spirit, he says. The enemy is very wise and very crafty in infiltrating even the music industry. Pastor, you tell me that I can't listen to secular music, I'm saying you need to pray about it and you just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. But I am saying you guys got to be a lot more discerning in what you're putting in your brain and your spirit. (laughs) I've said it before and it makes you mad every time and it makes you uncomfortable. So I'm going to say it again. If you have on your playlist songs that objectify women, you will struggle with your thought life. You will struggle with with lust. And in fact, next time one of y'all come up to me and say, hey, I'm really struggling with my thought life, I'm gonna say, let me see your playlist. Because your playlist is gonna tell you a lot about who you are. Now again, do I have to get rid of all my secular music? I'm not gonna impose my convictions in this area on you. I do believe this, I've seen this happen so many times. When people get radically saved in this church, I don't even have to ask them to do this, many times when they get radically saved, they throw away a lot of their junky stuff and they don't listen to it anymore. In fact, I remember my dad got saved, I was like five or six years old, and my dad got saved and he had, um, he had a whole stack of records, okay, now records, youth, they were these round <laughs> uh, black discs and had a hole it, okay. And, uh, you know, there were the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and all that. Nobody told him to do this. I remember my dad got saved. He threw all those things away and went out and bought a bunch of, uh, uh, what's that B.J. Thomas gospel albums, you know. Why? Because he just felt he could not walk with the Lord on the radical level God wanted him to and still be tied down with mess that had uh, entered his mind in the past. He said, I got to get rid of this stuff. So uh, here's what I'm just asking you. I'm asking you, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, at least understand the dark side, the wicked side, the evil side of this music as spiritual warfare thing. But there's a positive side to this as well. There's a good side to praise and worship and music. And in fact, okay, uh, Ephesians 5 19. Anytime I say Ephesians, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember Acts 19. In Acts 19, y'all remember this story? Ephesus is the epicenter of witchcraft. Did y'all know that? In the ancient world, Ephesus is like the witch warlock. It's like the Salem, Massachusetts of the the ancient world, okay? Paul goes in, preaches the gospel. Thousands of people get saved, including witches and warlocks. Remember reading this? And in Acts 19, they all get saved, and they're like, we can't keep doing this witchcraft stuff and follow Jesus Christ. And so they burn all their magic books, okay? So Paul, now, when they get saved... What church do you think they joined? The church at Ephesus. And so the book of Ephesians in your Bible is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that's probably filled with ex-witches and warlocks who've come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 519. He says, hey church, speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Do you see what he's saying to that church? He says, good God honoring worship music ought to be so ingrained in your brain that when y'all just start talking to each other, y'all just start quoting worship songs because it's just part of who you are. I think there's a connection here. Those of you who used to follow Satan overtly and openly, you're now following the Lord Jesus Christ. Saturate yourself with Christian worship songs to the point that when you talk, they just come out. That's the positive side to this. Now, go back to Revelation 15. Remember, worship music is spiritual warfare. There's a bad side of that. There's a good side of that. And I want you to see this in Revelation 15, verse two. Now, keep in mind, all right, Revelation 15, these are people who have come through the tribulation. They've probably been killed. Remember during the tribulation, remember I told you this. Are we gonna be raptured before the tribulation? Yes. Will there be Christians on planet Earth? No. But remember, during the tribulation, the gospel is gonna go out more powerfully than it's ever gone out before. And some scholars believe there'll be more people saved during the seven years of tribulation than all 2,000 years of Christianity combined. So these are people who've been saved during the tribulation, and now they're marked men and women. The Antichrist is going to come after them. Satan is going to come after them. And here's what it says about these people. Okay, Many of them are killed, and now this is the other side of glory, and it says, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And Those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, number 666, they have victory over 666, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb so these people are singing two kinds of songs those who have stood up against satan they stood up against the antichrist and now they're in glory they sing two kinds of songs the song of the lamb do you see that and the song of Moses two songs that these tribulation saints sing look at this it says they sang the song of the lamb, off to the side, put worship. Jesus-centered worship music. All right, every now and then, it might be good to get away from a song that talks about how great you are and how wonderful you are and how God loves you, and it might be good to have a song that centers around the person the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and how good and wonderful he is. Hey, what is the song of the lamb? It's right here in the Bible. The song of the lamb, you gotta go all the way back to Revelation chapter five, verse 12. Here's the song of the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, blessing and honor and glory to him who sits upon the throne forever and ever. That's the song of the lamb. Now, Say this, there ought to be an emotional component to your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of y'all come from good old church. Look, I'm not bashing the Baptists, the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, but y'all come here and you get a little bit nervous about emotional worship. I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's emotions. If I've said it before, if I said that later right there, I love you, you are wonderful. Uh, Thank God for you. You've changed my life. Uh, Plug me in. My battery is running dead. All right. She would doubt her love for me. If you love somebody, there is an emotional component. Yes. And the Song of the Lamb says, I can't help it. That man changed my life. That man died for me. I'm going to heaven because that man. How can you not get at least a little bit excited about that, church? And there's something, there's something about worship Praise and worship that restores that love relationship. So I'm just saying, if your heart toward Jesus has grown cold, you need to have some good Christ-honoring worship, and it reignites that passion, that emotion, okay? And then it says, they sang the Song of Moses. Do you see that in verse three? Off to the side, put victory, because here's what the Song of Moses is. It's kind of interesting. One of the last, pardon me, one of the first songs in the Bible, one of the first songs recorded, is the Song of Moses, Exodus, I think, 15. One of the last songs in the Bible is the song of Moses here in Revelation 15. And the song of Moses was when God's people were getting cornered at the Red Sea by the armies of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is going to wipe them out. You know what they did? They said, God, I thought you loved us. Why are you bringing us out here to kill us? I can't believe you did this. They're, they're angry at God. And then God uses Moses to open the Red Sea. They pass through. The, the army of, of Pharaoh follows. The water comes back down and destroys the army of Pharaoh. Then when they get to the other side, what do they do? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. He's a good, good God. Hey, they sang the right song. They just sang it on the wrong side. They should have been praising God when things didn't look good. See, that's our problem. We praise God when things look really good, but when things get bad, we get angry at God. We sing the right song on the wrong side. That's exactly what they did. Now, here's the song of Moses. When they finally get over, they say, God, you were good, you brought us through this crisis. You were faithful, you never left us, you destroyed our enemies, and you can see why the tribulation saints sing that song because there's a parallel here. Just like you saw God's people, God, in the Old Testament through their crisis to the other side, God, you have seen us through our crisis to the other side. We've got to sing the song of Moses as well. It's a song of victory. I'll tell you something, singing brings victory. I don't understand it, it doesn't make any sense, but praise and worship in the heavenly realms—it breaks something. It brings victory. In fact, one of the clearest examples of this is back in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Now, Second Chronicles twenty, um, God's people are not being confronted by one army. There's multiple armies that are coming against God's people. And here's what God says: God says, "Don't bring in the Navy SEALs." They're like what? No, don't bring in the Navy SEALs. Don't bring in the Green Berets. Don't bring the army rangers. Don't nuke them. I got a better plan. God, what's your plan? Get the worship team from the platform and have them go down and just start worshiping me. Worship team? Yeah, with their skinny jeans and their smoke and all of it. Get on down there and have them start worshiping. And the the worship team starts worshiping. And what happens after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies to turn against each other and start killing each other. And they wiped each other out. The praise of God's people confused the enemy. I love what Pastor John Piper says about this. About this passage, he says, the enemies of God are thrown into confusion by the songs of God's people. Or to put it another way, God has appointed the use of spiritual songs as an effective weapon against his arch enemy, Satan. That's our weapon because I just think it confuses the enemy when we begin to praise like that. In fact, have y'all heard of the Navajo talkers during World War II, have you ever heard of them? See, we kept trying to do all these codes to communicate and the Japanese kept breaking our codes. And finally, somebody had this idea, said let's get some Navajo Indians and let's have Navajo Indians start speaking the plans over the radio. Well, the Japanese intercepted it, but they couldn't understand the Navajo language. And it confused the Japanese. In fact, I read somewhere, we would not have taken Iwo Jima had it not been for the Navajo speakers. Their language confused the enemy. And when all hell's breaking loose and things don't look good and everything's coming against you and you lift up holy hands and start praising Jesus, the demons are confused. They say, they don't make any sense. He should be complaining. He should be cursing God and yet he's praising God. I'm confused. Praise and worship confuses the enemy. And when you say pastor it gives us victory what kind of victory do we have through praise and worship because remember the song of moses is a song of what victory well praise and worship gives us victory over lust in the flesh watch this you will find it much easier to manage your thought life if when you're driving down the road Your truck and car is filled with praise and worship. You'll find your house much calmer when praise and worship fills that house.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly right here in the Triangle. There are currently two locations, Yonkers Road, right off the Beltline near Capitol Boulevard, and the North Raleigh campus near Triangle Town Center. But a celebration to soon launch a third campus will be coming in Benson. Cross Assembly believes in building people up and sending out spirit filled agents of local and global transformation, so, missions is part of the core value at Cross Assembly. You're invited to continue listening here on the radio or join in Sundays online or on campus. Visiting crossassembly.org to find out more about Cross Assembly and how you can get connected. That's crossassembly.org.
2: We We're starting a process through the private adoption agency. We were presented with the foster care system and the opportunity to become foster parents. Got a referral for our first daughter. Doctors said she might not walk. There has been severe trauma in the head. She might not see. She might not be able to move. I asked the nurse, can we hold her? And she said yes. About an hour and a half, almost two hours. I remember holding her and praying, God, is this what you want for us and our family? Heal this baby. Touch her. The next day when we came back, the nurse and the doctors were amazed. They were asking us, what did you do to this baby after you left? She started moving. She started reacting. She started tracing something that she hadn't done in about a month that she had been there. I know a lot of people said, I don't understand how you can foster, where they can be at your home one minute and then maybe a month later when you're starting to get attached, the social worker says, okay, there's a family placement or there's someone else that will be adapting the child. And we said, even if it's for one night, we know that they're in a safe home, we know that they will be loved, and we know that we have the opportunity to show Christ to them. Please pray for the kids in the foster system. Please pray for more people to open up their hearts, to open up their homes. There's opportunities, whether it be supporting a family that has adopted either privately or through foster system. It
0: feels good that our family adopted three little girls. I can't imagine my sisters not being a part of our family because they mean so much to us. We felt like God was calling us to do that. Maybe God's God's calling you to adopt. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit CrossAssembly.org. Again, that's CrossAssembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's Truth Unfiltered.